This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. During this month of February, you're bound to see lots and lots of red hearts around. All the hearts are for lovers, sure, but it also makes perfect sense to see those hearts all around because February is also American Heart Month. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for women in the United States. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. More than 300,000 women died from it in 2021 alone. And when it comes to heart disease and heart attacks, women often face misdiagnoses and delays in receiving care. That's why heart disease in women is called the silent killer. And some of you have experienced this firsthand. Hey there. I had a major heart attack and quadruple bypass surgery at the age of 53. I had over a year and a half of symptoms that were discounted, and my heart was never checked, even though I was headed toward a disaster. I'm 57 now and very healthy, but it was a bunch of major medical intervention that could have prevented my heart attack. Missed symptoms and missed diagnoses are two big reasons why women are twice as likely as men to die after having a heart attack. That's according to a study published last year by the European Society of Cardiology. So we're dedicating this installment of our In Good Health series to the heart, to women's heart health. How can women better understand the risk factors of heart disease and how are advancements in heart monitoring technology helping women have more agency over their health? We get to these questions and a lot more after the break. I'm Todd Zwillick in for Jen White, and you're listening to the 1A podcast where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with our panel in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. This message comes from Wondery. For a masterclass on innovation and creativity, listen to How I Built This, where host Guy Raz talks to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. Listen to How I Built This, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. 
Let's meet our panel now. Joining us from San Francisco is Dr. Rita Redberg. She's a cardiologist specializing in heart disease in women and a professor of medicine at the UCSF School of Medicine. Also with us from Baltimore is Dr. Una Mijas. She's an assistant professor of medicine and the director of the cardiology obstetrics program at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Thank you both so much for being here. A quick note, by the way, our experts are not a replacement for seeing your own doctor. They're not here to give you personal medical advice. So make sure that you still consult with your doctor. Um, Dr. Minhas, let's let's start with the basics. Just how widespread is heart disease in the United States and how many of those cases are in women? Yeah, so heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States and responsible for about a quarter of all deaths in the U.S. And among heart disease overall, if we include high blood pressure as a form of heart disease, Almost 80% of all Americans have some type of heart disease. I mean, so just absolutely endemic, I guess, is the right word for it. And for women, how much more common? I mean, is heart disease more common in women or just more likely to be dangerous? So heart disease is slightly less common in women than men, although honestly, the numbers are pretty similar. It's about the same between men and women. Um, among it causing death, there's a slightly higher proportion of death as a result of heart disease among women mm. compared to men. And then there's you know some differences. So coronary heart disease or heart attacks are a little bit more common in men, but then strokes are slightly more common in women. Now, Dr. Redberg, people can sometimes mistake the symptoms of a heart attack for other sensations like indigestion. So what are the symptoms of a heart attack and how do they show up in the body, particularly in women who may miss the signs or, frankly, their doctors might not pay attention to the signs? Um, That's a great question. And that's where I do think we have made a lot of progress in the last 30 years that I've been working in the area of women in heart disease. But the classic symptoms for a heart attack are a squeezing Chest pressure, people describe it as a vise being tightened around their chest or an elephant sitting on their chest. It can go down the left arm. You might feel sweaty or nauseous and vomiting. Um, but as the caller described, I mean, sometimes it's an indigestion. It tends to come on, or at least the warning signs, with some kind of stress, physical or emotional, and then go away with rest. But that is, particularly in women, the important thing is being able to recognize and talk to a doctor when you have sort of unusual symptoms that are particularly not going away if they're not the classic squeezing chest pressure. Are, are, are the non-classic signs more likely in women? In other words, the elephant on your chest, is a man more likely to experience that and go, uh-oh, than a woman is? So that was what we thought, I would say, when I started in this field. But I think there has been, thankfully, a lot more data and a lot more study of women in heart disease. And it actually turns out that women are just as likely to have the classic signs as men are. The issue, I think, is that women are just less likely to have heart disease until about age 70 or so than men. And so Sometimes doctors aren't thinking about it when they should be, and sometimes patients, men and women, don't realize it. It's still true that women are more likely to get the classic signs, but it's also true that 
not everyone is going to have them. Like 5% of people are going to have the other funny kind of symptoms that are harder to diagnose. Dr. Minhas, how, how does someone experiencing any of the signs and symptoms that Dr. Redberg is describing know when it's an urgent health crisis? In other words, you don't want to go off too early and go to the ER with indigestion, but you certainly don't want to discount potentially serious symptoms. Yeah, so I always advise my patients and anyone listening to the show that if you are worried, it's best to go in, especially if you are having something like chest pain with lightheadedness where you think you might pass out or you feel like your heart is beating really, really fast or beating in funny heart rhythms, like jumping all over the place, your heartbeat. Um, Or if you're feeling extreme shortness of breath or fatigue, numbness or tingling down the left arm, those would be more classic presentations that it could be a heart attack. And then similarly for stroke, if you are um, suddenly at a loss for words, like you're trying to speak, but you're having trouble producing words, um, or that you're weak or numb in an arm or a leg or on your face somewhere, um, then those would be reasons to go in. But ultimately, I think most people know their bodies well, and they know um, when something is very unusual and wrong, that would be the time to go in and get checked. Now, women often have a hard time being listened to in any medical setting. It's a topic we've covered on 1A before. It's no different when it comes to heart conditions. My mom died from complications of a heart attack. The heart attack wasn't diagnosed until about a year later. Over the phone, she would tell me she was going to the doctor every month, complaining about being cold and tired. The doctor would say she needed more exercise, and this went on for about a year. Finally, they did some blood tests and found out that she'd had a heart attack. And the untreated heart attack caused severe damage to all of her organs. And she died 16 months later. Dr. Redberg, what's behind this? Is it sexism or something more complex when women get in the health setting and aren't listened to about heart symptoms? It's a difficult question. I mean, it's always sad and we hate to hear stories of symptoms being missed. I I don't know specifically um, what was happening for that um, woman and her mother. We have increased awareness both in women and in doctors of the importance and the fact that women absolutely die of heart disease. As um, my compatriot said, heart disease is the leading cause of death in women. And we've really worked hard to make sure that women are not delayed in their diagnosis of heart disease. I mean, it, it was certainly true that on average it takes longer for a woman to be diagnosed with a heart attack than a man, but it has gotten better, and it's important for women to be aware of that too and advocate for themselves. Let's take a quick pause here. Coming up, our cardiologists give us the scoop on best practices for living a heart-healthy lifestyle. Stay with us. This message is brought to you by Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura protects residents from global catastrophes, but a dark secret threatens Pura's very existence. Binge all episodes of The Last City ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today.
What's happening on NPR Podcasts? Money. Power. Tacos. White collar crime. Green parts. Black reparations. More of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant place. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about prevention. Dr. Minhas, what factors put women at increased risk for developing heart disease or experiencing a heart attack so that they can be aware of the risk factors before it ever gets to code red? I think for both men and women and, you know, people of all genders, it's important to know that there are some well-recognized risk factors for heart disease. So things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, being overweight or obese, um, having low physical activity, having a poor diet, those increase the risk of heart disease for people of all sexes, for men and women. But then there are some more unique risk factors for women. So for instance, there are certain autoimmune diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, which can increase the risk of heart disease two to four times. And those conditions are far more frequent in women compared to men. And then there are some things that only affect women. So for instance, pregnancy complications can be a sign of future heart disease risk premature menopause. So women who go through menopause much under the age of 50 have a slightly higher risk for heart disease later in life. Um, so, you know, you have those more traditional risk factors that I mentioned earlier that affect men and women, but then you also have these more unique female-specific mm. risk factors. Where is smoking now in the equation? I feel like we don't mention it as much as we used to. It's down over the last couple decades, but millions and millions of Americans still smoke. Yeah, so cigarette smoking actually has declined in the U.S. as a whole, um, which is wonderful. But e-cigarette use is rising. So even though cigarette smoking has declined, you know, it still continues to happen with about one in seven men smoking and one in nine women smoking. And we definitely want to bring down those rates. But more so, I think we equally have to focus on our younger um, population. So especially middle school and high school kids, about 15% use e-cigarettes. And now we're finding out more and more that e-cigarettes can affect blood vessel function, which can then increase risk for heart disease. We have a long way to go before we find out the real impact of e-cigarettes on the population and on public health. They've only been around a couple of years. And when those kids become adults, we're going to find out the real health impacts. It's something I'm not looking forward to. Well, blood pressure is important, Dr. Redberg. It has to be an important part of the mix. Um, how does high blood pressure affect the risk of heart disease? If somebody can monitor their blood pressure regularly, how much are they doing to prevent risk in the future? They're doing a lot to prevent risk in the future because uh, blood pressure is a treatable a risk factor, and with our ability to use many different kinds of medication and also a healthy diet and exercise to help bring down blood pressure, all of those are going to reduce your chance of having a heart attack. But one can do all the right things and still have a heart attack. So we're really talking about reducing your chances but we can never bring chances down to zero. And unfortunately, we can't. We can tell someone they have a 5% chance or a 10% or a 20%, but 
but we can't say when and if a heart attack will happen. So, you know, you should feel good that you're doing everything to bring your chances down. But unfortunately, heart attacks can still happen in people doing all the right things. Mm. We're just trying to help you not be one of those people, but we can't bring it to zero. Okay, let's get back to obesity and blood pressure for a moment. And I wanted to make sure that we talked about some of the new drugs that are in the news and all over TV that a lot of people will have heard about. These blockbuster weight loss drugs, semaglutide is one. It's also called Ozempic. Another one is uh, 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 Tirzepatide or Manja- uh, Manjaro. You've seen the commercials for that. They were created for diabetes, but they're now being used in other conditions. So, Dr. Redberg, how are, how are these drugs and the weight loss that comes with them affecting the field, affecting the risk of, of heart disease and heart attacks? What kind of impact are they having? Well, like you said, there's definitely a lot of excitement and, and a lot of promise for these drugs, but because they do appear to have dramatic effects on weight loss, and that has been an increasing problem over the last 20, 30 years, Obesity has increased to epidemic proportions in this country, and there have not been safe and successful drugs to treat it. But I have to say, I have been a cardiologist now for about 35 years, and I think it's really important for us to have longer-term data. Mm. You know, we don't... It's exciting, but hard to imagine that we can abandon sort of working on diet, working on physical activity, and we don't know their effects on our long-term health and even on our risk for heart disease. So hopefully they're going to be the blockbuster that um, the hype is about, but I think we need a little longer-term data to know for certain But they're certainly very promising and exciting at this time. I mean, that's important. You say long-term data. Do we know even how long people can stay on these drugs, whether the fantastic weight loss lasts beyond the initial, you know, the initial shedding of pounds? Right. We don't know how long people can stay on them. And all of the reports um, say that the weight comes back on as soon as you stop the drug because... It's totally related to the drug, and that's why it's just so important to keep working on lifestyle. There's just not an easy pill for weight loss until possibly these drugs. Hmm. So I also want to make sure that we talk about COVID. Um, couple years of epi- a couple years of pandemic now in, in, um, in epidemic form. Um, infections like COVID, Dr. Redberg, that produce a lot of inflammation – can make heart disease worse. How big of an impact has COVID had on heart disease, especially in women? That's a great question because we've heard, I've heard, and I'm sure Dr. Minhouse has as well, so many complaints and symptoms, chest pain, other problems related to COVID or related to the vaccines. And I think we are still waiting for good uh, long-term studies on what the risks were. I mean, the best data I've seen is was on the risk of myocarditis, which is not a heart attack, but an inflammation of the heart muscle associated with the COVID vaccines, but that was mostly in young men. I think there clearly has been an impact, but I think it's been very um, disappointingly murky on what exactly it is and how we can advise patients. 
I want to thank Dr. Rita Redberg. She's a cardiologist specializing in heart disease in women and a professor of medicine at the UCSF School of Medicine. Dr. Redberg, thank you so much for joining us and, and thanks for sharing your expertise. Sure. We appreciate it. We're going to take a pause, but still to come, how can wearable technologies help us better understand our heart health? It's all about prevention. Back with more in a moment. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. What's happening on NPR Podcasts? More neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Let's add a couple of new voices to the conversation now. Now, these guests are working on technology that they hope will change the way we understand our heart health. Dr. Ido Paz is with us from White Plains, New York. He's a cardiologist at White Plains Hospital and the Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs at Hello Heart. That's a health technology company focused on cardiovascular health. And joining us from Boston is Alicia Chong Rodriguez. She's the founder and CEO of Bloomer Tech, a startup developing technology to help women better understand their cardiovascular health, including the Bloomer Bra, which we're going to hear more about later. Great to have you all here. So these days, you know, you don't have to go to the doctor to know if your heart rate or your blood pressure is spiking. As we've heard, these are important risk factors, and you can just look down at your smartwatch. So let's get these guests to talk about the technology that they're working on that might help change our understanding of our heart health. Um, Dr. Paz, tell me about your wearable technology and what kinds of risk factors you're hoping to give uh, women the jump on. Yeah, absolutely. So in the first half of the show, we learned that heart disease are largely preventable if we did a better job managing risk factors like high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And that's what the Hello Heart app is all about. So Hello Heart is a smartphone app um, that's connected to a Bluetooth-enabled blood pressure monitor And through that, members on the Hello Heart platform are able to do a couple of core functions. Number one is tracking heart-related metrics like blood pressure, heart rate, cholesterol, activity, weight, even medications. Um, Alongside the ability to track is the important ability to understand. So a blood pressure of 135, is that good or bad? What about an LDL of 140? Um, Built into the tracking functionality is the um, ability to detect abnormalities or irregularities. So imagine if a member has a critically high blood pressure or an irregular heartbeat, the Hello Heart app would um, help them understand what's going on and help them decide what are the best next steps they need to take. Um, But I think the core functionality of Hello Heart is digital coaching. Um, And digital coaching are personalized insights geared towards diet, exercise, healthy living, taking medications um, that, you know, are based on well-agreed-upon guidelines from the American Heart Association or the CDC, but we really deliver it to members in a novel, personalized, and highly actionable way that helps members achieve great health outcomes. Well, Hello Heart created the blood pressure cuff to help people reduce their risk, as Dr. Paz describes. Bloomer Tech went and created a bra uh, Alicia, your company, Bloomer Tech, just received nearly $2 million in a grant from the NIH to study um, the clinical effects of your Bloomer bra. For starters, describe the 
Braun, let's talk about how it works. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to share that because we've heard over and over again the same issues happen where it's harder to recognize, diagnose, and treat women with heart disease, we've really realized that we need something better. We need something to transform the industry. Even the FDA has issued warnings about certain medical devices underperforming in women. And we believe that it's clear that now that AI is coming to help turbocharge digital health, there's a danger that algorithms trained with mostly male uh, data sets will actually perpetuate this problem. So we created this bra that has a, the benefit of being something that she wears every day, that it's comfortable, it's seamless to her everyday lifestyle. And now it can collect huge amounts of data around her heart, her lungs, her hormones, and her metabolism. So it's a different way to use all of this data to generate new digital biomarkers for women's health and actually personalized care for the diseases and symptoms that we're seeing that are female-specific. What's the purpose of the study that you've gotten the grant from the government to perform? What are the outcome measures? How will we know if, if, uh, if the Bloomer Tech bra is living up to the promise? Yes. So, well, this is a phase two study. So that, that means that we already went through the early feasibility uh, portion of the NIH to prove that the device works and it's safety and ready to use. Uh, for this phase two study, what we're going to do is that we're going to work with patients uh, during cardiac rehab for those 12 to 18 weeks uh, in two hospitals. So we're, we're inviting uh, people to, that are looking for cardiac rehab to come and use our new technology for this. And our endpoints are basically uh, looking to improve their cardiac rehab experience so that we can improve uh, outcomes. Cardiac rehab has a lot of evidence to support that it improves uh, uh, heart health outcomes. And we are here to enable adherence and a better personalized care throughout these sessions. So, Dr. Minhas, it sounds like in the case of the bra, at least for this study, the design here is once women have already had a cardiac event, they're using it during rehab. Um, Hello Heart appears geared more toward the preventative aspect, monitors blood pressure and gives gives the interactive um, part of the experience. Just in general, how do you view these wearable technologies, the promise, and importantly, the limitations? Because... We don't want to see patients, women in particular, relying on a smartwatch, relying on a gadget, as good as they may be, and, and, and thinking they can ignore other important aspects of their health. Yeah, so first I want to congratulate both of um, the entrepreneurs that are on because these sound like these would be fantastic devices that patients can access and that really anyone can access. Um, I think digital health has the promise of making healthcare more accessible. So we know in the U.S. especially, we have a lot of disparities in healthcare, you know, particularly among black and brown people where access to care is low. And digital health offers that promise of anyone being able to, you know, put this device on, use this app or put on this bra who's a woman um, and thereby get more health information and more access to health. Now, that does not eliminate the need for a physician or for a healthcare provider. So even though these tools will really help um, a lot of people learn more about their health and manage their health, I think it should be done in consultation with a healthcare provider who can monitor the results and discuss them with that patient 
and advise them how to proceed. Dr. Poss, your monitor, more geared toward sort of the everyday no-symptom prevention like general health or the type of acute situation that Elizabeth, our caller, just described? So the Hello Heart platform is geared towards people with cardiovascular risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, family history. Um, And I think um, the point you just made about the regular heartbeat is a great example of how something like Hello Heart can turn um, that data into something actionable. So um, if you see a notification like that on the Hello Heart platform, we're going to take you through a a clinically-based workflow to understand what you might need to do about that. Um, the last point I want to make is, you know, there's this question about um, how do we fit in with the broader healthcare system? And I think that digital technologies can definitely augment that. So when I see patients at uh, White Plains hospitals on Thursdays, um, I'm going to send them home with a care plan that might include take two meds, you know, come back in two weeks for blood work, you know, lose weight, change your diet. I mean, the to-do list is almost um, it's laughable. You know, it's not something they can actually accomplish. And with something like the Hello Heart platform, we're there to be with the member, be with the patient on all those days that he or she is at home to help them stick to the care plan that the doctor is defining, to stick to those diet, exercise, lifestyle, and medication recommendations so that they can achieve better health outcomes. Well, Dr. Poss and Dr. Rodriguez, I'd like to hear from both of you. We're, we're talking about the benefit for the patient here. Doctors can also get the data. Physicians probably like that. What about science? Are are your products also geared toward sharing really good heart data, patient data with the scientific community? I'm sure you do it in an anonymized way for privacy and all the rest of it. But it seems to me that if enough people are monitoring in this way, it's really a great way to do science about prevention. Dr. Pasca Head. So one of the things I do at Hello Heart is clinical research. So studying outcomes of members on our platform So we've published very large studies, 30,000-person study in the Journal of the American Heart Association, where we found that members on the Hello Heart platform were able to lower their blood pressure um, 21 points if they started with a blood pressure above 140. More recently, we we looked at even a bigger population, over 100,000 Hello Heart members, and found really strong reductions in blood pressure, cholesterol, um, and weight. Um, You know, one area of research that's of particular interest to us and particularly relevant to this segment is in health equity. Um, So we've studied whether those outcomes apply across different um, factors like age, gender, race, preferred language, urban versus rural housing type. And turns out that it's a very equitable solution, meaning whether you're a man or a woman, um, um, old, young, black, white, your outcomes on the Hello Heart are going to be comparable. That was Dr. Ido Paz. He's a cardiologist and the senior vice president of medical affairs at Hello Heart. Also with us, Alicia Chong Rodriguez, the co-founder and CEO of Bloomer Tech, and Dr. Una Minhas. She's the director of the cardioobstetrics program at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Thank you all for joining us. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. It's distributed by NPR. I'm Todd Zwillick. We'll talk soon. This is 1A. Former President Trump is in serious legal trouble. And at the same time, he wants his old job back. It's a really big story, but with different trials in multiple states, plea deals, testimony, gag orders, 
It's also really hard to follow. So we created Trump's Trials, a new NPR podcast where we break down the big news from each case and talk about what it means for democracy in weekly episodes. I'm Scott Detrow. Check out Trump's Trials from NPR. NPR brings you the updates you need on the day's biggest headlines. The Senate narrowly passed the debt ceiling bill that will prevent the country from defaulting on its loans. Stories from across the world. Knowing how to forage and to live with the land is integral to Amis culture. And down your block. From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. And you can find all of that and more in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today.